Hey guys, it's Amelia Singer here on Ameliorate Through Wine, where I pair wine to international guest palettes, personalities, and personal stories. I am thrilled that this podcast is being vigorously propelled by the Rothschild Wine Collection from Good House Wadston, all names synonymous with a century-old legacy of art and wine craftsmanship. I really couldn't think of a better pairing for this wine and culture podcast. From the early 1920s to the present day, the Rothschild family's profound love for both art and wine coming together has been at the heart of their journey. Their family's artistic heritage distinguishes the labels, often telling a unique story that gives an extra dimension into their exceptional wines. With handcrafted bottles created by celebrated artists, mesmerizing cellar installations, and label artwork produced by members of the family themselves, the Rothschild's timeless commitment to the fusion of art and wine is a legacy that continues to inspire connoisseurs and enthusiasts alike. Visit goodhousewadston.com for more information. So now, sit back, pour yourself a glass, and enjoy. So today's guest is a close personal friend of mine, as well as being a trailblazer and highly revered expert of her industry. We actually met while I was doing a wine tasting at Opera Holland Park, pairing wine to the music, as one does. And I was really struck by her extremely sensitive and engaging perceptions of both the wine and the music. I couldn't wait to chat to her at the end and could not believe my luck when this radiant-looking woman turned out to be Shelley Von Strunkel, the UK's top astrologer. Why top? Well, her columns grace a number of top publications around the world, from Vogue to the Gulf News. But she's also pioneered a whole new approach to astrology, which she uses to coach and advise high-level executives and entrepreneurs. Through her approach to astrology, she's actually initiated a new era of thinking, which aims to look at how practical astrology can be for one's professional as well as personal life. I can't wait to discuss this and much more over a number of carefully selected wines based on her finely tuned palette and wonderful personal story. Welcome, Shelley, to Ameliorate Through Wine. Well, thank you. It's To say it's a pleasure would be an understatement um, because I enjoyed meeting you so much at Holland Park and to have the meeting and further meetings connected with wine. <laughs> well... I have arrived in the land of bliss, and the stars aren't even out. I know this is this is amazing. Well, let's. We, I've poured the first glass. I know from our various meetings that you do love a champagne. Yes, not champagne, but it is bubbles. And I know we were going to talk about too how you've absolutely combined wine into your career, which is very exciting. But I thought just to get things flowing, we'd start off with some bubbles. I know you're also a huge fan of Cremel, so wine made in the same way as champagne, but it's not from champagne. And this one, I hope you find really special. It's a bit different. Mm-hmm. But you've got a wonderful palette, so I'm curious to see what you think. Cheers. This is very velvety. Mm-hmm. So it actually comes from Alsace, so it does get mm. quite a bit of sunshine, so that will give it an extra bit of ripeness. Mm. But what these guys have also done, if you look at the bottle, these grapes were actually picked in 2017. What has been going on since then? Well, for four years, those grapes... Um, like as they do in Champagne, they were crushed, they had a fermentation go on, and then they started another fermentation in bottle to create the bubbles. And instead of normally in Champagne, after a year and a half, you separate the dead yeast cells, so the yeast which goes in to make the wine, creates a fermentation, you then remove after a year and a half. This sounds a bit disgusting, but these dead yeast cells are basically left in contact with the wine for four years until they were removed. Why is that important? Well, it gives an added golden color. Mm. So it is, it is especially golden, this wine. It also um, gives an extra kind of toasty brioche element. It also helps round out the wine too. So when you're talking about the very soft, velvety um, texture, mm. it really helps round it, it has, out. It has more body than most mm-hmm. bubbly too, doesn't it? It's almost syrupy in, in its richness. Yeah. And it's sort of like, I, I feel like I should pet the glass. <laughs> Everything is allowed here. There is no judgment. And I always like to have a wine from a supermarket or a high street store plus two wines from Independence. So this is actually from Oddbins, a wonderful high street uh, store. And it's £24, which 
it's not cheap, but actually when you think about the labor which goes into creating this vintage mm. Cremant, and it's from their top sites, but also why I had to choose it because I thought you'd find it fun and it's, it's a delicious mm. wine. But as you noticed on the foil, which covers the cork, and actually on the bottle, there is a symbol of the moon. And the reason why that happens is because this comes from a co-op actually called Best Time. And Best Time, it's, it's a group of more than 380 families of co-op members. And so between them, they have access to some of the top sites. But really, why they have the moon and the rising sun there is because every village in Alsace has different traditions and different stories. And the history of Best Time started in the village of, I'm going to butcher this name, Benvir, Benvir, um, the stronghold of the famous moon chasers and so the nickname the origin of which has been lost in the midst of time but it now designates all those who have joined the winery to adhere to its vision so the motto for this winery is chasing the moon to harvest pure sunshine which is hopefully what you are experiencing in your glass right now i sure am and i'm just like <laughs> overwhelmed with idealism i'm <laughs> Booking a ticket there. That is what we want, to vinously transport you to Alsace, even though we are in beautiful surroundings. Um, Yes. Um, So I I thought you would would appreciate that. To say the least. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm like, we just had to start with this to get the palate cleansed and to start with that wonderful crisp acidity and golden opulence. And I was very curious to hear how, yeah, you would appreciate this one because I know you love your bubbles. But... What is your earliest memory of enjoying a wine? And do you remember which wine was it, where you were, the time, place? Not at all. I mean, I can remember when wine became a part of my life, which is more accurate, I think, which was when I had kind of my first apartment in Los Angeles working. And um, there was... um, Trader Joe's nearby, and my Trader Joe's was in walking distance. (gasps) I love TJ's. And cheap. cheap. So, I mean, and this was a while ago, so a $3 bottle of wine. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I could have one of those and one of those and one of those and one of those. But then what happened is, because I could do that, the best way to learn about wine is comparing. Totally. And so that's what happened when I was living there. And I was was probably... 23, 24. Because you were born and bred in L.A. Honey, no, wait. Let us let history be corrected there. <laughs> I was born in Hollywood. Yeah, my my usual yeah. reply is, and I live to tell about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I was born in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, there I have to confess, there was another thing I did drink. Margaritas. Oh, yeah, I love margaritas. Yeah. Margaritas are wonderful flavor, but a margarita after a hot summer's day in LA. Can you make good margaritas? I have no idea. You know, and there's a restaurant which, interestingly enough, my parents went to before they got married in LA called El Cholo. And I <gasps> That's where my grandma used to take me growing up. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I didn't realize that. When we met, I knew there was a bond, but if the bond is El Cholo, this is sacred. (laughs) No, no, that is really (laughs) sacred. That is profound, deeply profound. Um, But actually, wine has, as well as um, wonderful conversations with your friends, wine has actually played an interesting part during your career trajectory, hasn't it? Oh, gosh. Well, yes and no. I mean, it wasn't my intended career. Um, But what happened, as it does over a boozy Sunday brunch, I was chatting with a friend who was the head of Plateau Restaurant, which was uh, the jewel in the Conran crown at the time, uh, and out in Canary Wharf, which at that time was, you thought you needed a passport to get there. It was a long way away. (laughs) So what he needed to do is he needed to create an attraction to get people out there. And I said, well, why don't we do astrological wine tastings? And he looked at me as if I was a crazy woman. And I said, let me explain. And so, and and then this is actually, before we started recording, we were talking about the idea that every sign is not just about a sign, but the signs are about flavors and colors and tastes. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, taste? And I said, okay, let's just do an experiment and do it. So what we did was we created an, a, a, a trial run dinner where I used the sign of the month as the theme and based the... <laughs> 
five courses on, I know it was a sacrifice. Um, on, <laughs> Your on, whole life is just one <laughs> sacrifice after another. Uh, on the flavors. And so let's say it's Aries, which is a fire sign, which is about intense flavors. Mm -hmm. And so each course had something of an intense flavor in it. Wow. And I mean, and so you might even say the cheese course would have been, say, blue cheese was something quite, quite intense. And so then we chose the wines to go with it. And one of the best compliments I ever had, because I still never fancied myself as particularly having a palate, is when I was doing a pre-tasting with the um, general manager of the restaurant, who's French, and the sommelier, and we would taste the wines with each course, and I would tweak them. And he said, you know, you have a palate. If you didn't already have a gig as an astrologer, you could be a sommelier. And it was like, oh, my God, I think I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> it well, was just, I was so excited and honored because I, until then, I considered myself to be maybe an informed punter, but a punter. And so I've just come into my sense of an understanding of my own palate gradually um, with a lot of tasting involved. <laughs> We're moving on to more of a deep dive into astrology and to kickstart that conversation, this is one of my favorite female wine producers wine. It's called A Tribute to Grace because it's a tribute to her grandmother who was called Grace and Grace was also what was one of her best qualities. And mm -hmm. also she wants to show the grace of the Grenache grape, which um, you don't, I think Grenache is not, often very much appreciated like a Cabernet, like a Merlot as a single varietal. But also when people tend to think of Grenache, they tend to think of it as like just shoved in a blend, like in Chateau, like Neuf de Pape or whatever, like big and bold. Whereas what I love about what she does with this grape, and I remember being introduced to them when I was at a conference um, in the south of France, and they were talking about how Grenache could be compared to a Pinot Noir for its silky textures and aromatics, which I'm a fan of and I know that you really appreciate too. And I never really got that comparison before. I always thought of Grenache was big, but what I love about her is she's all about spice, perfume, silky succulents, and her name is Angela Osborne, and my family name is Osborne, so I was kind of hoping we'd be related. Um, and um, she is very into astrology. She has her own shaman. You go into her winery and there's crystals. And um, as soon as I told her my signs, she, she knew we'd get on. And she also does everything biodynamically. Um, so she's very into her moon cycles. Um, we've talked about biodynamics on this podcast in the past. So this is very much means like even though um, she doesn't always uh, look after her own vineyards. This is her Santa Barbara Highlands vineyard wine. So this means that she works with five different vineyards in Santa Barbara, which I know, Shelley, you love in California. So that's also why I wanted to show this wine. But so she chooses five sites around Santa Barbara, all of which have been biodynamic, biodynamically farmed. Um, and then she also has... Um, some more si like single vineyards too in her range of wine which are also all biodynamic she's all about minimal intervention using hardly any sulfur native yeasts and um yeah she she's a very spiritual person wow next time i'm in california i gotta check it out <gasps> you will um, love her yeah, i love her she's she's um originally from new zealand married to a brit from cornwall but was studying filmmaking in LA. And on the side of studying filmmaking, she was um, working in wine retail. And then she just got more and more into wine. So she's also someone who appreciates the arts and, and culture and finds um, this way of expressing herself. I, there, are, there are so many levels on which this is fascinating, but I just have I know, to like make it. a slight leap <laughs> to something I think we may talk about more later. But... Uh, People don't realize, I mean, people think of signs as a zodiac and what am I like and what's my future. But each sign also represents a kind of an activity and a focus. And so Aries is about individuality and you find a lot of Aries. For instance, a girlfriend of mine's dad is a very aggressive attorney and he's an Aries. And you find many, many actors are Aries because they are so single-minded. Mm. They have that amazing presence. Whereas, and you move through the signs, Leos are very creative. Virgos are very good at detail. And 
the last sign of the zodiac, which is symbolized by, um, is Pisces, but, but is symbolized by Neptune. And Neptune is a planet that's associated with films and with wine. <laughs> No way. Yes, and she's got to have a very, very strong Neptune in her chart because I'm gonna have to. She was in the wine business, in the wine business, and (laughs) associated with film. Yeah, because see, it's interesting because they're both a kind of illusion. The the film or TV that's created, you're looking at something that isn't real, but it was real at a time that was captured. With wine. It is what it is, but what you experience isn't what it is, and what it is isn't how it started. So it's also about transformation. So the nature of wine, it sounds weird to say it, but you can track it, and the nature of film are actually identical. They're, on one hand, a transformation, and on the other hand, they transform your thinking. Because when you're watching a movie, you, you get go transported, there. Yeah. And if you're drinking a good wine, you go someplace nice too. I love that again. Oh, this is why I love you, Shelley. Yeah, the cross pollination. Now, my question before I taste this is the color of it, which is so unusual for me. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's very light, it's very pale. Like, if you look, again, this is actually where it is similar to Pinot Noir. If you put down the glass, you can actually see right through the glass. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, um, it's very... So it's, insc- I mean, yeah. I wouldn't... I'm, it's, it's interesting, it's pink wines and rosés, which is very different. And this is a red, but it's a red that... Well, you know, some reds seem like they took assertion training. <laughs> this is the reverse. It's like saying, I'm a very polite red. red. I don't want to be pushy, but I'd still like you to appreciate me. It's a very, I would say, nuanced, soulful red, okay. which is also why. Yeah. Wow. Well, for something as kind of pale and retiring mm-hmm. as this, this is wearing boxing gloves. I know. I don't know. There's much more than meets the eye, though. Ooh. Yeah, because there's a spiciness to it. There's like um, mm, lovely rhubarb yeah. elements. Yeah. And yet there's something like it's very um, silky and succulent on the palate and it kind of does dance. It's got a wonderful acidity. So I, I love it because there's a lot going on. It's so interesting because even elegant. on the glass it doesn't particularly have legs. Nope. So you wouldn't think that it would be quite as... Um, bossy <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious i got it um so go talking about the independence now so the next two wines are from independence this is from leon sanderman and i love mm. leon mm. sanderman as, as a wine merchant and this is wow. um mm. 50 pounds but if you get a case of six it's 44 pounds <laughs> so you know there's a little bit of a discount there anyway <laughs> i know it's not cheap but it is so beautiful oh. and um it is just something very, very special. But I mean, and it is one of those, you know, and it sounds pretentious when you hear wine people say it's really interesting, but it's really interesting. You know, I mean, it's really, just amazing. Even just, from, wow. you, you, even just from its appearance, it stopped you in your tracks. And it's something which, like, if I had a girlfriend and I wanted to have, like, a kind of, and I'd ideally have a cheese board and a charcuterie board or something, because I think actually mm. this wine is very versatile. It could go with, like, wonderful barbecues, even. Um, but I could just imagine sitting down. And actually having amazing, quite soulful, reflective conversations with girlfriends um, over this wine. Because it's so pale, you know, our listeners, let me just describe. This is this is the color of a lipstick you would give to a 14-year-old girl for her first lipstick. So true. <laughs> this no, is fun. I had no really... idea this would be such fun. <laughs> and I didn't even pay her to say that, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> That was completely of her own volition. But um, (laughs) before we start going down that, um, how would you, let's just go back to basics, actually. How would you describe astrology? Two things. One, it's a study of the cycles of nature as mirrored by the planetary movements in the heavens. Note the term mirrored. And secondly, it's our relationship to that as human beings on this planet and as human beings working with nature. A, astrology is a study of the cycles of nature as portrayed by the planet's movements. And by the way, this is where it, of course, connects particularly with wine growing, growing, growing organic wine and the phases of the moon. Yeah, with biodynamic wine, exactly, which yeah. is what we just had. Yeah, And yet all of this is something where we relate to. It's just it was so natural for people 
years ago settling in the river valleys when they noticed it and noted it down. And it's got lost, except in places where, for instance, they are doing biodynamic and organic wine growing or farming. However, if we human beings paid as much attention to that in our own lives as the growers do in the organic and yeah. biodynamic farming, we might be more aligned because what's happened is there's so many distractions people have from connecting with themselves. So then two other components. The thing called your st what we call here the star sign. In America, they call them sun signs, but it's your birth sign. And it's a signature. Mm -hmm. It doesn't shape you. Your soul chose to be born at that time. And again, right. that is my mantra. Well, no, I'm this way because I'm this sign. No, you're that sign because you're that way. Right. And but and then I hope the people who are listening to this are gonna go and replay it again. It's like, what'd she just say? Because it's such a shocking thought yeah. to many people because so often it says, You are this way because you're that sign. And it's sort of like you are this way because you live in that neighborhood. Uh no. You chose yeah. Yeah. So so it's two components. And sometimes I'll be at dinner parties where people come and say, No, so what do you mean by? And I just love it because I got them. Yeah. But the other part of it is, and it's interesting, and this is a fascinating example. I never talk about clients, but I think this particular one was, was no longer with me because of a long time ago. It's also a wonderful tool. And I, because my background is in business, I, I have business clients, and I have been thanked on Desert Island Discs for those in this country. That's a really That's big, a big deal. thing. Yeah. yeah. But many years ago, I, I had to be the mighty age of 23, 24, and I was living in an apartment in Los Angeles, and this is L.A. The owner of the building was an executive with one of the major studios, naturally. And I said, would you like me to take a quick look at your chart? And he said, yeah, sure. So I just did it quickly, and I said, oh, well, this isn't what I expected to say to you, but you're about to be in front of the camera, and are you aware that there's something really, really dodgy going on at the studio? Well, he turned kind of pale then, but he didn't say anything. And well, and I said, so make sure that that's dealt with, but, you know, be ready. And yeah. I actually was going to India after that. So I went to India, came back, and I read in Time magazine about him and that studio. <gasps> and the fact that one of the executives had been mishandling money. And my landlord, who was the head of accounts, was in fact on camera, on TV, talking about it. No way. Yeah. And so that's the other part of it. It's so specific when you use it for business. And one of the reasons I've wanted to dignify it, thank you, Mystic May, we love you, but rest in peace, mm -hmm. um, is it's very useful. It's a really good tool. I don't think that could have stopped him, stopping this guy, but at least he, I confirmed what was going on and he was ready for the onslaught of the news. But how did you even get into Because before you were working in fashion mm. and you've always credited working in fashion to really understanding trends and market trends. And that's again, plays into the practicality of how you use astrology. But how did you even get into astrology to begin so, with? Someone I met, in fact, at Strangely in a department store was teaching an astrology class. There you go. And I was curious. And so I went. And so I started studying it. And I kept studying it. And I didn't have any, it was just interesting. It was fascinating. And then I would start looking at people's charts because you do that. And, you say, and they would go, oh my God, how did you know that? And I said, it'd be here on this piece of paper. <laughs> and that was, you know, my, my landlord, the studio executive, that was that time. And I still didn't think of it as being a living at all until it became one. And I am honored if what I write enables someone to do that. Because we're battered by media. And most of what it says isn't exactly um, uplifting. So if I can write something in the daily columns, which appear worldwide, in the, my other columns, and now a lot on my website, it's a joy and a pleasure. Would you say in that way that it ties into spirituality religion would you even say like can they both exist alongside each other would you say that you had a faith or you can kind of explore that through your engagement well, I mean, now with astrology the thing is, i mean the funny thing is um astrology was very much part of say the christian faith for, yeah. for years and if you go to most old churches in most of the world 
here, but also in, in Spain and in Italy and in France, there will be a circle of the zodiac either in front of the altar or around the front door. And it was very much part of it. I mean, it's only recently that certain elements of the Christian church have got their, as they say in England, and their knickers in a twist about it. <laughs> because, of course, the 12 signs represented um, the 12 apostles. One of the things I learned when I was in the fashion business is there are cycles in everything. And there are cycles in astrology. So what's happened is we've been in a very scientific era where the likes of me have been, I mean, I, I, someone will have written an article on me in a newspaper and then some scientist will have become rabid about the fact that my name was even in print in that that publication right. and will have written a, a note which had to be featured and that letters to the editor and, and it's like take a deep breath and i am not stepping on your territory but there are cycles in nature i mean this is the irony astrology is about cycles mm-hmm. when all of those churches and cathedrals were built when they were putting the signs of the zodiac in astrology was cool at and the moment, the, it isn't. And in ancient Egypt, astrology, um, the zodiacs were... It was very much a part of life. Well, of yeah. course, I mean, at that time, they really yeah. needed to use it exactly. to, to even know the time. Would you say there's a difference in perception uh, towards it between the US and the UK? Or would you say that actually you're going to get those rabid scientists okay. in both places? Okay, the interesting thing is you get the rabid scientists both places. Yeah. But the actual position of astrology between the U.S. and U.K. is completely different. And there is a really simple marketing reason. In the U.S., and many people here don't, they here in the U.K. don't realize this, there are no national newspapers in the U.S. That's because mm. it's against the law. It's because when the U.S. started, they had what they called antitrust laws because they didn't want there to be a single railroad company or single newspapers which could take over. And it's a big country. So there is the Los Angeles Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, the New York Times, the South China Martin, another time the Chicago, I forget what it is. But each city has its own newspaper with its own column. Mm-hmm. However, these columns are bought in as a package with the comics and the Sudoku. So <laughs> yeah. the, the astrological columns in most of the American newspapers are cough cough for entertainment and they really aren't that good but there's a great side story here which is kind of worth the time um there was one particular astrologer um who had a completely different arc but similar to mine and he actually did law in boston and then i heard about astrology and thought well i'll study it and disprove it and he studied it and then decided it worked and then started doing columns and came to Los Angeles. And his name was Carol Reiter. And in fact, his column appeared in the Los Angeles Times when I was a kid. But wait, there's more. And all the people in the studios, both actors and studio executives, had him as a consultant, just like I have private clients, including someone called Ronald Reagan. Wow. Now, at the time, Ronald Reagan, people don't realize this about the late president, was he was a very active union man, and he was the head of Screen Actors Union for several years before he got into politics. And he was advised by Carol Reiter. So when he went into politics, mm. Carol Reiter advised him on his campaign, first for the governor of California, which he won twice. Wow. And then there was talk about him being president. Now, this is a sad thing. Carol Reiter died then. And Nancy, his wife, found another astrologer who had a completely different background, which was kind of medieval. And when he went to the White House, he had that astrologer. That's what Time Magazine researched and when they started making fun of it. Wow. Yeah. How would you say that you're putting your own influence into advising others, whether they're entrepreneurs or executives well there's two components one is with clients uh, uh, the, the, the two components are there are cycles of nature just like we were describing yeah. and just as there's a full moon a new moon another full moon every month and there are seasons 
So there are seasons in everyone's life, and if they can be aware of that, that's useful. We are in an era that is very dominated by science, and science is good and does wonderful things, but there is a tendency for science to dismiss the likes of what I do wholeheartedly, to ridicule it. Yeah. And that's kind of too bad, because there's a lot that it offers. Because what would you say to, to, like, I personally, I love astrology, I do read my horoscopes and things, but what would you say to someone who's like, well, how can this one thing be the same for all Leos? Or how can this one, what would you say to someone who brought that argument up with How you? can you all have the same weather today in London? There are cycles in nature. And yeah. whether it is your nature as a sign, whether it's the place you live, we are living in a collective reality and just knowing about the collective. But also, see, this is the other part. In the old days in astrology, and in fact in the old days in, in the world, people didn't have a lot of choice. You were born into the country, into the socioeconomic setting you were born into, into the gender you were born into. Yeah. Now you can change them all. Yeah. You know, and, and so astrology has gone from being a pretty destiny-oriented story to being a reference point as, shall we say, a jumping-off place. But the tricky bit, if you do that jumping off, you need to take responsibility for the result, and not everyone is ready for that. And that's where the interesting discussion lies for me, mm -hmm. to say to a sign, so you're telling me you're not too happy with that. No, I won't change it. When will it change? Okay, let me like try this with you. It will change when you decide to make it change. And I'll sit down with you and work on that. But it's within your power. What do you mean? And that's the important discussion these days. Well, when I went to see and you did my chart, it very much felt like a, a mix between a life coach, psychology, um, talking to a friend who I felt safe with. It was... And it was actually very helpful for understanding my patterns of behavior in regards to how I deal with certain aspects of business and running my company and and that I wasn't an idiot for maybe not getting things or certain things not coming as quickly. So, I, I mean, I definitely I think the, the, the difference is that the old model is it's kind of seen as fortune telling. And if you go, yeah. then someone is telling your fortune, whereas... These days, we are aware the degree to which our consciousness shapes, in fact, our physiology. It impacts our well-being. It impacts our immune mm. system. So, of course, it impacts what you expect is possible for yourself. How do you feel like, uh, well, kind of other ways which people can make sense of the world through the form of palmistry, tarot cards, mystics? How does that all fit or does it not fit? Sure it does. I mean, I'm not an expert on some of these. I am an expert on others. But I think for now, because we are now in an era which is so dominated by science, but what do the scientists say? That many people don't have a reference point for most of that. So mysticism, tarot cards, oh, that's just foolish stuff. Let me take tarot cards, a really interesting example, mm -hmm. because the tarot cards are what someone spiritual would describe as portraits of 84, because there are of them, 84 states of mind. Oh, wow. And so when they're handled by someone and then dealt out, the energy of that individual is revealed in the cards that are chosen, if there are six or twelve. And it's telling a story. But mm. for someone to say, oh, that's a bunch of rubbish. Okay. Has anyone ever had that experience of being in a really bad mood and suddenly they start dropping everything? And thinking, oh, God, it's just my mood. I've got to get myself together. Our, our state of mind is mirrored in how we feel and how we act. So if the tarot cards have images on them that are reflective of a process, then if a person handles them and they're dealt out, it's a mirror. That's mm. a mirror, though. It doesn't make things happen. Now, this is the bad news for someone who wants the cards to say, it'll all work. Sorry. Um, actually, it's about, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And we've lost that simply because, again, we are in a scientific era, and science really wants an absolute, repeatable, experimental result. Sorry, the tarot cards are not offering that. However, 
It's a little bit like falling in love. <laughs> yeah. The experience varies. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned that we're in the science age now. Can you, are you able to see what the next stage will be or when it will be? Oh, my gosh, woman, you just asked the right question. Because I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has heard at least once of, ta-da-dum, the Aquarian Age. Well, it is. And the songs about it, you know, the, the play Hera and the Dawning of the Aquarian Age and the song, well, it's interesting because this is one of the few things that, bless them, astronomers and astrologers agree with because it actually has to do with our own solar system's position within the galaxy. And it has to do with the constellation that is visible in the first day of spring. And it's, it's are you ready? All of you cynics out there. It's proper science. Yeah. Yeah. And these ages are 2,000 years long. The one that is just ending is the Piscean Age. Yes, it's backwards, because whoever planned our relationship with the solar system forgot about forwards and backwards. So we're <laughs> moving backwards through the science. <laughs> so the one before Pisces was Aries, and the one before that was Taurus. And so we're moving into the age of Aquarius, and this has nothing to do with a bunch of guys doing a play and writing a song. It is an astronomical fact. So what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Is she an impatient Leo or what? Um, so the Piscean Age was basically the age of the hierarchy, the age of the saviors, the age of perfection. As we move into the Aquarian Age, this era is about a collective reference point from a collective understanding. For instance, as we live together, we need to understand that our behavior influences others. But the other part of it is we begin to understand that our thinking, our positive thinking, benefits others. Now, something like, for instance, in this country, the national health is a really good example because it's a, it's, it's a new ideal. Mm -hmm. But it's an organization that benefits the people in the United Kingdom. That didn't exist before. They didn't do that. Yeah. That is an Aquarian Age concept. Okay. Functionally speaking, it began mm, 1950, but officially 2000. So, uh, National Health, I think it was started in 1940-something. Yeah, it was like after the liberals kind of yeah. paved so, the way for all so kinds of new ideas. So the beginning ideas. of that <laughs> way of thinking. And the fact is that this new era we're moving into is about learning to live with each other, but also learning, and this is another component to love the earth. The other component is the power of our own consciousness. And this is the bit that hasn't been discussed yet much. Hmm. Because there's a lot of talk by science about, well, you already screwed up the ocean. You already screwed up the climate. However, what we're not talking about is how... Actually, I'm going to leap to another image and then come back. Okay. Anyone who is a parent who has an ill child knows how important it is. If the child is ill, that, that child be looked after, but they will go and sit with the child and put their hand on the kid's forehead or on their stomach with love and healing energy. That is what we're all meant to do with the planet. Mm -hmm. However, science tells us it doesn't make any difference because it's already screwed up. If we all approach our relationship with the air, the earth, and the water with that same loving intention and the confidence that comes with the parent looking after their child, then that healing becomes a given. And that will be the greatest gift of this new era. But we don't know. If, so it is possible. It's absolutely possible to thrive during this period. It's not all doom and gloom. It isn't. And there are two components. One is to actually begin to listen to that kind of thing. And, and you know, I'm about to do podcasts, and they will be about, partly about that. The conversa it's time for a conversation in media about the power of our own consciousness. And when you say consciousness, I was like thinking about wellness trends and people trying to, you know, do meditation, get more in tune with themselves. Yeah. Does that, is that all part of that movement? Okay. One of the things, again, this is like many people don't realize that they're conscious. Do you feel yourself being present here? What do you mean? 
well, do you feel your body? Are you aware of your mind? Well, well yeah, what do you mean? Um, are you aware that's called consciousness? Huh? <laughs> that's what I mean. But because it isn't taught by science and the only real teaching is science, most people aren't aware, first, of their consciousness, and secondly, that they can use it. As I said, though, except for perhaps a parent healing a child or someone looking after their garden. I mean, one of the greatest things about now King Charles and his passion for his gardens is the fact that he takes his consciousness into his garden. And that's, I guess, what they mean when people garden, they get into these, like, meditative... Meditative states. Yeah. I mean, and it, yes, and that's... Meditative so states. This will be the next step. And just as science has had its sort of voice about this, the other will come back. And it's one of the things that you see in that yin and yang symbol. People are aware of the circle. It's half dark and half light. When you spend a lot of time in the contractive energy of worry and concern, that's one. But when you move into the light... It's the period of possibility, and that's what we're moving into. Okay, I feel reassured. I feel <laughs> do you know how long this period lasts for? How long do these... Well, these ages are 2,000 years, so you've got a week or two. Okay, good, good. I can embrace this and get my head around it. Fantastic. So we're now moving on to our final wine, and we are going to Italy... We are going to Tuscany, and we are enjoying a Rosso di Montepulciano. So unlike the Vino di Montepulciano, the Rosso, it's meant to be drunk younger. It's, it's meant to be very fruity and sumptuous based on the Sangiovese grape. And um, this one I have not put into a decanter. Shelley just said, oh, have you put into a decanter? No, because it is, Rossos are meant to be kind of enjoyed, I wouldn't say with abandon. But you don't need to, you can pour them straight from the bottle. And yeah, they're meant to be younger, less complex, and immediately seductive. So I'm now witnessing oh, wow. Shelley's first sip. I don't know if she's seduced yet or. What do you think? It's wonderful. It's interesting because it reminds me quite a lot from a wine from an another part of Europe, which is the Caladoc from. Um because, yeah, it's got a lot of personality to it, like the Caladoc, as you mentioned. But it's not too big. It's not a bruiser. Um, there's still, like, a lightness. It's not a show-off. It's not a show-off. <laughs> exactly. And um, this wine, uh, made from the um, winery Dei, as in a garden deity. So I thought that was also kind of fitting. Thank you very much. And um, they uh, very much believe in biodynamic wine, too. So mm. the vineyards which they use to source the Sangiovese are biodynamic I, I'm not sure if they've got their certification or whether they're working towards that, but that's, it's basically drawn on biodynamic principles. And um, this is mm. actually run by an amazing female winemaker, Katerina, and she took over these vineyards in 1985. And it's, I, why I chose it was, I know that you love Italian wines. Um, this female winemaker, I, I, I really love her. I think she, she's a really mm. impressive person because actually until 1985 they would be selling their grapes and it was very much her decision to be like no guys why are we giving away these grapes we should be proud of our grapes and be making our own wine mm. and she's also like both of us a huge lover of music and she has released albums so basically her love for art and the countryside and vineyards have all inspired her to this dedicated approach to making this wine on biodynamic principles and she said i rediscovered my love for music through good wine as they are not as different as one may think both wine and music speak a universally century sensory sorry language and celebrate the joy of living this is what i would like to offer at cantina day as our truly unique winery is a perfect place to celebrate life this is a place brimming with artistic emotion and passion for wine, where I'd like everybody to enjoy a sensory experience surrounded by culture and art. It's really got a wonderfully long-lasting presence. Mm -hmm. You know, not all wine has that. It's like, you know, it hasn't just come to stay. It's kind of sitting around having a cigarette, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a deity in your mouth, really. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just... Yeah. prevailing yeah <laughs> well for this third but again um this is the final wine as i say this is a woman who has a lot of different interests but she transmutes her interests through making wine 
And I really wanted to, to chat to you a little bit about your other interests because as we've talked about before, you worked in fashion, you were very successful in fashion, you love your music. If you had, had not have gone down the astrological path, where else could you have seen yourself having a fulfilling career? Well, as a coach without the astrology, um, however, just coaching as it is, is so rational that I think I'd have to, I would have had to pull something else in, like for instance, hypnosis or that kind of thing. Um, but the joy is being able to be part of another person's journey. And whether it's someone who is just referred to be by another person or someone who is the head of an industry or someone who is a creator. And because my background's so wide and my skill set's wide, it's lovely to be able to be there for that person who is either having struggling with being themselves and enjoying themselves as they are in the present or alternatively is aware that it's time for them to reach out and to be the coach for that process. So, yeah, it is. So to put it that way, to be a coach, to put it in a less elegant way, to mess with people's lives in a positive fashion. <laughs> Are you someone who doesn't have any what-ifs in their life? No, that's true, I don't. You know, I mean, there are certain situations where I think... Um, Hmm. It's not a what if, but if I'd taken that path further, then I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of doing charts for the people, obviously you would have done your own chart. What do you think would have been some of the key moments where actually being able to read your own chart has actually well, no, really helped. Me, before we go on, let me explain what a chart is, because many okay. people don't know that. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. um, a chart or horoscope is literally a map of the heavens for a moment in time expressed in astrological terms. Okay. And many people have seen it. It's that wheel with the squiggly things on it. Yeah. With the 12 pie-shaped wedges. Yeah. Okay. Now, there could be a chart done for this moment, and it would show where the planets are at this moment. Mm -hmm. However, a chart, a birth chart is a map of the heavens for the moment an individual is born in that place. And it is said that that, by me, by my colleagues, that that is a mirror of the soul's intention for that individual. Now, right. we're using language that may get a little far out for some people who don't <laughs> like the soul stuff. So, okay, then it's a mirror of the individual's intention for that individual. But the point is, it's a bit like if you go into someone's home and you look at their stuff, you look at their books, you look at their food, you look at their clothes, you got a pretty good picture of who mm. they are. Okay, the chart is like that. The charter horoscope, those squiggly things in that round <laughs> circle, are a mirror of what that, to me, soul, to other people, person, had in mind doing. Except I'm able to read that. And so yeah. a sociologist can go into a home and say, well, they've got books about this stuff, and this is in their fridge, and I can tell from the pile here that they're like this. And that works, too. Right. So it's not the only tool. However, the astrological one is interesting for two reasons. One is it implies a journey, and a journey that well-managed is about what the individual is here to learn. And that's kind of my job. So my job is when someone comes along at whatever point or when someone sends me, they ask me to do the chart of a child, a baby, then I talk about the journey. And as we know, we both have lived long enough to know that some bits of the journey are dandy and other times are like, what did I have in mind? <laughs> <laughs> but in every case, it's about discovery. The, so the horoscope isn't about the destiny that's been dealt out to you, live with it. It's about the potentials your soul has chosen. Make the best of them. And sometimes having your chart done is that. Now, one of the things I've done, and it sounds like advertising, but it isn't so much advertising as it is making something available. Um, charts are available through my website, individual charts, like exactly like I would have done, which people can order. And there's a programmed interpretation by one of my colleagues who is a former journalist who 
uh, lives in Australia, and she writes out the interpretations. They're fantastic. This leads very nicely into, you cannot escape this, the wine confessional segment of the podcast, where you have to relay a funny or maybe slightly embarrassing story involving wine. I can't think of anything. Nothing. Okay, well, uh, yeah, maybe with some prompting because, and it's funny because I'm... Oh, do you have any like embarrassing wine No, actually, I just have to say this bit. It's funny because I have many times had far too much to drink, but I think the Lord has been merciful because I've forgotten what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite good. Um, And I always seem to have got home. Um, That's good. Yeah. Uh, So there is that bit. The, The... benevolence of the divine in protecting me in those moments <laughs> when I perhaps have imbued too much because there have been those moments well sadly very sadly I, this is where we're going to have to wrap up luckily though we still have some wine to yeah imbibe later on but um, and I'm going to a dinner with wine later oh I will <laughs> I will have to do wine push-ups to get ready for it <laughs> I might have to film those <laughs> But um, I just first of all want to say thank you so much for having my wonderful podcast producer, Joel, and I come sit in your beautiful, beautiful home and be made to feel so welcome. And how you organize the sunlight to just stream on us, that that was also very well orchestrated. So thank you so much. I have connections in high places. (laughs) And um, yeah, always what I love to do at the end of the podcast is say all the ones which we mentioned can be found in the show notes. Two of the wines are from Lee and Sandman. One of the wines are from Oddbins. And just as importantly, if not more so, if you want more of Shelley, they should absolutely go to your website where they can order to have their own personal chart. They can get their own astrological report. How would you describe that? Well, there's... Okay. There, there is... There, the chart can be ordered mm-hmm. or they can get on a waiting list to actually see me. Well, Shelley, thank you. Thank you so much again. Cheers, and I just feel so lucky to have you as a friend in my life too. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope that this has inspired you to grab a glass and have a wonderful conversation with someone close to you. If you have enjoyed this episode, please can you like and review because I've heard that this is how people can find me. And if you are interested in any of the wines featured in today's episode, all wine notes are included in the podcast description below. You can also find ways to contact me via my email, website and social media handles. The common theme is at Amelia's Wine. You do need to remember, though, that there is a hyphen between Amelia's and wine. Otherwise, it looks like Amelia's swine. Thank you so much again and back in blessings.